Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Glory to God. God's, uh, God's Word, we're in the Gospel of Mark. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you've noticed again and again that Jesus uh, is preaching, and Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is calling people to respond. In all of His uh, comings and goings throughout Galilee, He's calling people to respond. He's calling people to decide. He's calling people to draw near to Him, to, to obey Him, to follow Him, to trust Him. And all, that, all that's happening in, in Gospel Mark is coming to Jesus, and what should we do with Jesus? Uh, why should we listen to Jesus? Why should we obey Jesus? Why should we follow Jesus? Uh, a whole litany of questions there, a whole litany of, of why, why, why should we go after Jesus? Mark the Evangelist wants us to know why. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. Why should we listen to Jesus' call? Why should we respond to His call? Why should we go after Him? Why should we give our life to Him? And when He had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that He was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And He was preaching the Word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus, wherever He went, as we've learned already through Mark, gathered crowds. In Capernaum, in the boonies, in the boondocks, in the deserted places, all quarters of the nation were coming out to Him. He goes to Capernaum, and, and it says that He was at home. Now, we've learned previously that that's the home of, of Simon and Andrew a family home, multiple generations in one house. 
And I wonder when they heard that Jesus was coming, if they felt a little pressure to clean the house. <laughs> I wonder if they felt a little pressure to trim the weeds in the yard. Maybe put a little paint on the door. Because they knew that wherever Jesus went, he would draw a crowd. Seems like when we have people over, we're always sweeping the floor or making sure the house is in order. Wherever Jesus goes, man, people show up. And so many people came when they found out the news that he was there. They were coming out the door. Uh, this crowd seems a little bit different than the previous crowd we read about in Capernaum. The crowd that came brought, brought their sick. They brought their demon-possessed. They brought everybody with problems to Jesus. And, and Jesus healed them through the night. This one's a little bit different because they're actually listening to his teaching. They're listening to his preaching. They seem intent. Now, you can imagine a, 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 a house back in those days. Maybe you can't. Let me explain it to you. Typically, a, a large room, a, maybe a, a one-room dwelling, they would often divide up the house, uh, as Chad said, in, in very poor places or places that aren't uh, up to our American standards. They would uh, maybe make rooms out of curtains, make rooms out of different uh, whatever implements they had. This uh, family, of course, Simon and Andrew, we learned a few weeks ago, they have a fishing business, so maybe they're a little bit more wealthy. Uh, they, they have a larger place to live, perhaps, maybe multiple rooms, but it's typically a one-level one house. Sometimes they had two-level house, but only the very rich had that, uh, maybe in Jerusalem and places in, in Israel. But this was a, typically a one-level house uh, built with rock, okay? and, and up, upon the, the rocks of the exterior walls, they would lay, they would lay beams, Wooden beams would be resting on the exterior rock walls. And they would make a flat roof out of, the, out of these houses, oftentimes. And uh, on top of the beams, there'd be some kind of a thatching, some kind of a cross uh, lay of, of, of boards or, or sticks even. And on top of the, that thatching, they put some compressed earth, some mud or clay that would make the roof. And every, every so often, they'd go have, to, have to go level the roof. But they'd go up on the roof to uh, uh, dry their clothes. or uh, On really hot nights, they'd go up on the roof to sleep up there. Uh, they'd use it for multiple uh, different occasions. There's an exterior staircase on the, the wealthier homes. Some of the smaller homes, they just had a ladder that, on the outside that would go up to the, the roof. And obviously, at night, they might pull that ladder up or whatever. But, but here, this, uh, this house is full, and probably Jesus is sitting in a prominent place. Maybe there's a little courtyard within the house. We're not sure exactly how big it was. You know, again, maybe they had a little more wealth where Jesus was staying with Simon and Andrew. Uh, the, the, the house is packed, right? And so some of the people probably couldn't even see Jesus' a direct line of sight. They just heard his teaching. But there's, everyone there is, is listening to him teach. And how many hours has he gone on? We're, we're not sure. It doesn't say Mark is quick and to the point. He doesn't tell us exactly what's happening, all that's happening. He's just focusing in on a few important things. But he's preaching. And what, what is he preaching? Remember? The, the beginning of the gospel of God, the good news of God, the reign of God has come. God's rule is at hand. God's rule is at near. It, it's near, and you need to enter it. You need to come under the reign of, of the Lord God Almighty. He's warning the people, as John the Baptist did, repent, turn your life around, get ready for the coming of the King, get ready for the Lord and His arrival. And, and we, we've learned as we've gone through Mark that Jesus is that Lord. He has come, and He's, begin the, he's, he's, he's calling people to... to turn their life around, to orient their life towards God and His, His will and His purposes. And uh, we've, we've also seen throughout this preaching so far in the Gospel of Mark that not very many people are responding. 
Man, sometimes we preachers, we, we, when, we, when we preach for a response of people that believe in God, sometimes we're disappointed that not many people follow. And Jesus had that experience too, because really, uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John, are, are really his only followers, uh, reported so far. Most of the people weren't interested in following him. Most of the people weren't interested in his teaching. Most of the people weren't interested in what he had to say about God and the kingdom. They just wanted him to heal them. They, they, they were using his power and his authority and his might to meet their needs. Isn't that like popular Christianity these days? Uh, oftentimes we look at Jesus as our, as our giver, our Santa Claus. We look at Jesus as the one who is, exists to make us happy. We look at Jesus as the one who's there when we put him on speed dial and we call, hey, I need this, man, now. And, and he exists to give us what we want. So, so we think in this culture, in this society sometimes. And these people, they're just not cluing in to the message yet. They're not cluing in to who He is yet. They don't get it. Mark tells us an account that in and of itself could be a whole pericope in the text, a whole section of the text, a whole lined out section, but he uses it as a mean to an end. He's talking about these men who bring a paralytic to Jesus. And you can imagine... We don't, man, again, Mark, I wish Mark would give us, you know, it's the Lord's word, so he knows what he's doing, obviously, but I'd like some more backstory, I'd like some history on this. How long has this man been, been sick? How long has this man been, you know, paralyzed? How long has he gone through this? Is he born that way? Did he, uh, did he get drunk one day and fall off his donkey and, and get paralyzed that way? I don't know. I'd like to know some of the details of these stories, right? But uh, that's the Lord's word, and he knows what he's doing. And so they, maybe they had a pep talk. Maybe, maybe this guy, like, I don't want to go see Jesus. I don't know if he's going to do anything. And, and, but, yeah, we heard that he's a healer. We heard that he's a deliverer. We heard that he, you know, Hosiah down the road, he was healed last time Jesus was in town. Come on, you can do it too. And so the, the men gear up their faith. They, they, they gird up their loins, as it were, mentally and spiritually. Let's go do this. Come on, let's take him to Jesus. How long did they have to carry him on a mat? We don't know. But, uh, you know, the guy, maybe it takes a little time for this guy to get riled up for it. Maybe it takes a little time because he's going to be like the center of attention. Like, he doesn't want to be looked at and stared. He's been stared at for so long and looked at. He's probably begging on the street corner. He doesn't want to be the center of attention before Jesus. But anyway, he finally maybe gets up the courage. Yeah, let's do this. Let's go. And, and so they carry, and they come around the corner, and oh, crowds in front of the house. We're not getting to Jesus, are we? Right? It seems like in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, crowds serve one purpose. They get in the way of Jesus. <laughs> again and again through the Gospel of Mark, crowds are always in the way. They're always getting in the way of Jesus' agenda, or getting in the way of people that want to reach the desperate who want to reach Jesus. Uh, the crowds are there and they're, oh. But, but did they give up? Did they stop? Absolutely not. And, and it's, you know, a, a standalone sermon in this would faith. Faith doesn't stop when obstacles come. A person of faith in God does not stop when obstacles are there in the way. Right? A living faith, a faith that you can see, keeps moving according to God's Word, believing what God says, keep walk, walking according to His promises. They don't stop just simply because there's obstacles in the way, simply because trouble comes, simply because hardship comes. People of faith... They obey God's word. They, 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 they trust in God's word. They, they act on God's word. Now, these, these men obviously have a belief. These five men have a belief in Jesus that he can heal 
this man. And so they look around, what should we do? And then they, they, they see the stairway. They, they see the stairway on the side of the house, and one of them says, should we do it? The other one says, yeah, I think we should do it. I, I don't know, I'm imagining, right? I, we're really going to vandalize his house? We're really going really to dig up the roof? Yeah, let's do it. Come on, we got to get him to Jesus. we got to get him to Jesus. Uh, this story, uh, it, it's it, in some of the other Gospels as well. I remember preaching once on this, and, and, and uh, the, the emphasis in that, in, that, in that story, in that sermon, was what are we doing to get people to Jesus? You know, how, how far do we go to get people to Jesus? How, 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 how vested are we in bringing people before Jesus? How, how, how important is it for us to have our lost people, our lost friends, our, our neighbors and our friends to meet Jesus Christ? Are, are we praying for them? How, how hard are we, how often are we praying? What, what are we doing to witness to them? What we, obstacles that, that are there, how, how are we getting around those obstacles? How are we trying to get there? These men, man, their, their faith is alive. Their faith is active. Uh, and this is a, actually, uh, you, could, you could write down James chapter 2, verse 26. This, this, whole, this whole first five verses is a commentary on James chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 26. Um, faith without works is dead, is, is kind of this. And so these guys have a living faith. You can see it. They don't, just don't believe that Jesus can heal. They're, they're making it happen. They're taking them to Jesus. Uh, and, and so they get up on the roof, and they, they, you know, I don't know if they got shovels. I don't know what it looks like. Mark, Mark doesn't tell us. Maybe they got some spades, or maybe they're using their bare hands. Maybe they get a rock up there, and they're just digging through. And imagine the people in the house. Imagine the people in the house that, hey, there's someone on the roof, and then they, they hear this banging and clanging, and this, you know, suddenly maybe the dirt starts, the dust starts falling, and then, then clods of dirt fall on the, the rabbi Jesus. Maybe people are yelling, what are you doing up there? Get off the roof. But they keep digging and they keep coming because they, they have to get him to Jesus. They have to get him to the Lord Jesus because Jesus can save him. They have to get him to Jesus. They're not going to stop no matter what the obstacle. People are yelling at him and hey, maybe they knew their name. <laughs> you know, they... Should we call the police? You know, but they, they, they keep pushing, and, and I imagine Jesus is, is just sitting there, just watching. Maybe he's got a smile on his face. Maybe he's just, he's like, wow, look at this. I'm seeing people live by faith. This is pretty exciting. So, so they, the man comes down on the mat, you know, and I, I can imagine he's like red-faced. <laughs> Maybe he's embarrassed. I don't know. I would be if I was him. And, and, and uh, obviously they want him to heal the man, right? Obviously the, 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 the friends, they don't even have to say anything. And Jesus, Jesus looks at the men, and, and the text says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. Man, I, I hope people see my faith. Man, it, it's easy to say what I believe. It's easy to, to put a bumper sticker on my car saying what I believe. But I, I pray that people see my faith, that I'm living out my faith, that it's active. It, it's not dead. It's not just it's a statement I make. 
uh, all these people that we encountered in Mark so far, and all the people we're going to encounter in Mark, they, they, they all believe in God. They all believe in God. Many, I think, a great majority of the San Luis Valley, if you ask them if they believed in God, they would say, oh, yes, sir. No doubt about it, I believe in God. Uh, James would say, well, man, show me, your, show me your faith by what you do. What is the evidence of your faith? What is the evidence that you're following Jesus Christ? What is the evidence that you're walking uh, in His way? What is the evidence that you've trusted Him with your life? What is the evidence that you're living according to His standards and His, His, uh, His Word? But these men, uh, Jesus, Jesus sees their faith and He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow! Wow! What authority! What power! At least the claim of power, the claim of authority. Interesting, and, and boy, this is almost a whole other sermon as well. If, if their faith, it's a plural pronoun. He, 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 their faith, what, what do you mean? Like, like his sins are forgiven because of their faith? And, and we don't know if it was the, the, just the four men who lowered him down, or was it the fifth man, the man in the, in the mat? Certainly, hopefully, it was his faith too. But he sees their faith, he sees their belief, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And what? Apparently, Jesus saw the man's mind. Jesus looked into his heart. The Son of God knows every heart. He sees every heart, every person's soul. He knows what's going on there. And apparently, this maybe when he was on the roof, this guy heard Jesus preaching about sin and about repentance. Maybe, maybe this man was cut to the heart when he was being coming up to the house and he heard Jesus talking about his need for salvation, his need for rescue, his need for forgiveness. And maybe, maybe he, he, was, he was moved and he needed salvation. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was broken. He knew he had sinned against God and, and rebelled against God. And he knew he needed God's grace in his life. And, and maybe Jesus saw that. And he gave him the greater healing. He gave him the most important healing you could ever have. Uh, a paralytic will live how many years? Maybe 80 years. But eternity goes on forever. Eternity lasts a long, long time. Man, what if he healed the man's body but didn't heal his soul? Wouldn't that be tragic? Wouldn't that be tragic in your life if you, if you went to Jesus and He gave you all the prosperity you wanted, all the riches you wanted, all the power you wanted, all the life, the popularity you wanted? What if you received everything that this world says is important but you didn't have salvation? I would say that's tragic. Maybe you become the richest, most popular, greatest person in the world, famous for this or that or everything else. But what if you didn't have forgiveness of sins? What if you weren't reconciled to God? What if you weren't justified in Jesus Christ? What if you didn't receive the righteousness of God as standing with God that you need to enter heaven? What if you didn't have your debt forgiven? What if you weren't regenerate? What if you weren't born again? And yet you had the world. Wouldn't that be tragic in the big picture of things? Of course it would be. So Jesus gives him the greatest gift. Your sins are forgiven. Man, for the rest of his life, he's with God. For the rest of his life, he's, he doesn't have to fear judgment. He, he doesn't 
wait for judgment day. He's already passed the test. The, Jesus has already said, you're forgiven. What, what a great moment in this man's life. What a glorious day. Glorious day when salvation comes. Man, we're, we're going to see uh, later in Mark that when, when someone comes to Christ, there's a party in heaven. <laughs> when, when someone comes to Christ, there's rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents. And, and apparently this man, uh, we're going to trust that Jesus knew what he was doing here. He sees their faith. He sees this man's heart. And he says, you're forgiven. What a, what a great moment. I, I say to you, uh, maybe you're usually going to Jesus for your needs, uh, health needs or financial needs, and that's great. He's, why wouldn't you, of course? But if that's all Jesus is to you, if He's just this, uh, this helper that in your time of need, but He's not your God, if He's not your Savior, if He's not your Lord, change that. Change that. Turn your life over to Him. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness. Ask Him into your life. Ask Him to rule and reign over you and your family. Please don't just look at Jesus as a healer, as a need giver. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. Let Him rescue you. Turn your life over to Him. Believe in Him for salvation. Uh, this, uh, this, this is... is you know, we get to this point, and wow, they, they brought a man to Jesus, Jesus heals him. They can go home happy. What a glorious day. What, what a wonderful, what a wonderful account of Jesus' authority and His power and His might and His saving work. But Mark doesn't end the account there, this historical account, this, this thing that took place. Mark says, hey, there's more to the story. Now, if you look at verse 6, just to refresh your memory, now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning their hearts. So, uh, you know, just a little insight. Mark always gives so many details. The, the, the room is crammed. People are standing room only, probably. They're standing outside the door, but the important people are sitting. Scribes, they're the teachers of the law. They're the lawyers of the day. Many of them are Pharisees. Most of them are Pharisees. Some of them are Sadducees. But they're the interpreters of the Torah, interpreters of the law. They're the ones who gave gave the, the rulings on, on uh, matters of, of holy law. They were the ones who interpreted the text. They were the, the respected ones. They were the rabbis. Oh, exalted one. Oh, hey, rabbi. Well, get out of your way. Have the seat, please. They are sitting there, and, and immediately they stand in judgment of Jesus. They don't say it. You know, maybe they came from different places around Galilee, maybe even from Judea. Samaria, they, they, they're, they're coming, and apparently they, they've come to observe. They've heard about Jesus. Who is this man? What does he teach? You've heard he's doing some amazing things. Let's go listen. Let's evaluate him. So they're sitting there, and, and uh, immediately they, they, they make a right judgment as far as they know. Do you understand what Jesus said when he said, I, I forgive your sins. Uh, this man, uh, as a man to man, this, this man, we don't know if he ever met Jesus, but he's probably not saying, I forgive you how you sinned against me when you, when, you, know, when, when you took my, my, my Sabbath meal or whatever. Uh, he, he's, not saying, he's not saying to the man, I forgive you for sinning against me. He's saying, 
I forgive you for all the sins you committed against everybody else in your whole life. I forgive you for sinning against God. Now, uh, that's a big claim. That's an amazing, amazing claim of power and authority. And the, the scribes, the, the Pharisees are right. Like, if anybody really says that, like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you, hey, I, I forgive everything you've ever done. I'd be claiming to be God. Uh, you know, blasphemy is, is treating God in a derogatory way. It's, it's running His name through the mud, mischaracterizing Him. Uh, it's also claiming, when someone blasphemes, you're claiming to be, have the authority, the power, and be on the level of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing right there. When he says, I forgive your sins. And the scribes are like, oh, in their hearts. He's blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God? Very important point in the text. Who is Jesus? He's claiming divine power. He's claiming divine authority. So Jesus uh, sees, fascinating just how Mark puts this together in such a tight text. Uh, ironic in the sense that here he is saying, uh, uh, he's saying, I forgive you of your sins. And the, the, the scribes are saying, oh, only God can do that. And at the next sentence, Jesus is reading their minds. The omniscient Jesus looks into their hearts. <laughs> They're judging him for claiming to be God, and yet he, he, he doesn't read their minds like intuitively like you and I can intuit somebody's thoughts or their body language or their, their appearance or whatever. He knows what they're thinking because he's God. And he says, uh, tell me this. You know, uh, these guys, they're... they're they're right. If, if he's only a man, if he's only a man, they're right. They, they should call him out. And they're, they're making up their minds right here and right now. And for the rest of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see these kind of men in opposition to Jesus, all the way up to his arrest, all the way up to his death. They can't categorize him, they can't, they can't put him into, a, into this, this box of being God. And so if he's claiming to be God, if he's putting himself on such a high level to be uh, a divine power, he must be bad. Either he's, he's, he's this or he's this. They, 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 they don't have the, the frame of reference to understand how the Messiah could be God and not just a man alone. So Jesus says to them, perceiving in his spirit, that they're questioning him. He says, why do, you, why do you question these things in your hearts? And so he, he proposes a little test. He says, what do you think is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and go home? Now, uh, it's easy to say both, right? We could all say that. And both are hard to do. Both are impossible to do. But really what he's saying is, uh, which is easier? Of course, I can, I can say something is going to happen, but you can't see forgiveness of sins. But if I say I can heal somebody, you can see that, can't you? 
And so let me do, in your minds, a harder thing. He looked at the paralytic. You know, the, the conversation's kind of veered away, but then he gets down, he looks at the paralytic. He says, son, get up. Take up your mat and go home. A command that must be obeyed. His divine authority and power is there. And the man has to decide. The man has to decide if he's going to obey or not. And, and, and of course, as we've already read, he got up. He got up, he took up his mat in obedience, and he went out in front of the whole crowd. By healing the man's body, Jesus proved to those doubters, the scribes, that he also had healed the man's soul. He also had, he'd also reconciled the man to God by getting rid of his debt before God. Which means Jesus had great power, power on the level of God. A divine power, a divine majesty, a, a divine authority. It, it says here, at the end of verse 12, they were all amazed. And all means the scribes were too. They were all amazed and they all glorified God. Look at the miracle. Uh, who can heal but God? Saying, we've never seen anything like this. And yet, like the other texts that we've looked at, we don't see a response. The only place we've seen a response so far of faith and trust is in James and John, son, sons of Zebedee and Simon and Andrew. As we continue in the text next week, we'll see more opposition. More of these men who see amazing things and yet they seem willfully blind. They refuse to commit. They refuse to listen. They refuse to turn their life. They refuse to go with Jesus. You can have all the facts. You can know everything about Jesus and still not choose to follow Him. You can learn about Jesus again and again through the years and see His attributes and see His qualities and see how uh, powerful and mighty He is and still refuse to bend the knee to bow your heart and your soul to Jesus. Why should you choose to give your life to Jesus Christ? To trust Him with your life and your family. To listen to Him and obey His teachings. To obey His Word. To follow His commandments. To live a life of faith. An active life of doing what He says. Mark, Mark in his style in his narrative style, he assumes that we'll know the reason why. He assumes that we'll put two and two together. That we'll, we'll add, up, add up everything we've seen. He heals broken people. He changes their physical life. 
He forgives sins. He knows everything that can't be known. He claims to have divine power. He claims to have the power of God. Equals He must be God. What should you do with that? How should we respond to that? How should you turn to that? That's Jesus' gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Repent, for the king is come. Mark starts off his gospel. This is the, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, in verse 10, says, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man. That goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The one that Daniel envisioned, the, the one coming, riding on the clouds of heaven, going before the throne of God, and God giving Him all dominion and all power and all authority over the earth. Jesus says, the Son of Man, He's claiming that text, that prophecy fulfilled in Himself. Why shouldn't you become a follower of Jesus Christ? Why shouldn't you obey Him? Why shouldn't you have a living faith? Keeping His commands, His precepts, living by His principles, worshiping Him. Why shouldn't you? I say because He's God and because He's come for you, He's spoken to you by giving you His Word. He's given His life for you that you should listen to Him. You should obey Him. You should glorify Him. You should honor Him. You should worship Him. You should come to Him as your God both now and forevermore because He is God. Does anybody need to take a moment, even right now, to turn your life over to Jesus? To repent of your sins and call on His name? Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.